This morning can be found in John 21. We're going to read the first few verses that we find in this third and final account of Jesus' appearing to the disciples after his resurrection. So if you have a copy of the scriptures with you, I'd encourage you to follow along as I read these verses. John 21, beginning in verse four, uh, excuse me, beginning in verse one, we find these words. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way: Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon said to them, "I'm going fishing." And they said to him, well, we'll go with you. And they went out and got in the boat. But that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. And when they had got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to him. And so with the fish. Now, this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So in the reading of God's word, may he bless it this morning. Be seated. I know we're not supposed to, but I do it. I can't help it. There are passages and scenes in Scripture that when I read them, leap off the page. One of those is John 15. I think I've shared that with you. Uh, We're going to look at two of them again this morning because they are so ripe with drama that it almost drips off the page. Because I think as we look in John 21, we see... Everything that makes Peter, Peter, from what we know about him in the scriptures, and everything that makes Jesus, Jesus, from what we know about him in the scriptures. And I hope that as we kind of move through this this morning, you'll begin to see this. But before we get there, do you have a friend? Do you have a friend that regardless of how much time has passed between the last time the two of you were together... Do you have a friend that 
Irregardless of that time, the moment you see them again, the connection is restored and revived. It's like no time has passed at all. Do you have a person like that? I, my friend is Andrew, and uh, Andrew and I uh, met when we were in, uh, gosh, I don't know, uh, middle school at least, at a camp that he and I attended. He lived in Lake Placid, and I lived in Bartow. And uh, we struck up a friendship. He was a few years older than me, and I kind of looked up to him a little bit. And over the course of the next 15 years or so, our paths have had a similar trajectory. We both met women, got married, had kids, entered into the ministry. Our personalities were similar. The things that we thought were funny were similar. And so even to this day, when he and I get together, and it's not very often anymore that we get to see each other in person, occasional text message, a phone call here and there, the moment that we have the opportunity to connect, the relationship is like it never missed any time at all. And I began to think about that as I read this passage. And, you know, the reason for that connection to be restored so quickly is because we have history. We have shared experiences. We have things in common that time can't separate from us. When we think about the relationship that exists between Jesus and Peter, the same thing can be said. These are two people with a past. These guys have history. If you're familiar at all with the, the, the story arc of the gospel, Peter and Jesus are winding their way through it. And he shares a unique place among the disciples. And in John 21, we get the last chapter of their story, at least the last chapter as Jesus is on earth. Certainly, throughout Acts and, and the rest of the story of the early church, Jesus is intersecting and interceding, particularly in Peter's life. But this is the last time that they get to sit knee to knee, face to face, person to person before Jesus would eventually ascend back to his rightful place, the right hand of the Father. You remember the highlights and some lowlights of their story. Jesus and Peter first be, begin this relationship in Luke chapter 4, as Peter's mother-in-law has fallen ill, and this up-and-coming young rabbi is in the area and comes to Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law, who immediately begins to prepare. And then the following day, as Jesus has the opportunity to teach a multitude of people, as they press in against him in Luke chapter 5, you remember the story, the fishermen have pulled their nets up and are cleaning them out after a night of fruitless fishing. And Jesus begs the use of Peter's boat and he teaches the multitudes and then decides, you know what? You know, it would be fun, guys. You know, I know you've worked hard all night. I know you just got done cleaning your equipment. Let's go fishing. Let's do it one more time. And in that moment, miraculous catch of fish, Peter's story with Jesus really begins. As he calls him to a gospel ministry as an apostle. And from there, we get high points, we get low points. In one story alone, Jesus declares Peter to be the rock 
He changes his name after Jesus, after Peter states that, that Jesus alone is the Christ. And just a few verses later, Jesus has to look to Peter and say, get behind me, Satan. Matthew 16. Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter is one of the few who gets to go and see Jesus revealed in his glory. A precursor is to what would follow. Jesus and Peter intersect again in the upper room in John chapter 13 as he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And what's Peter's response? No, sir. No, sir. Not mine. There is no way I will allow my rabbi, my teacher, to wash my feet. And what is Jesus' response? Peter, if I don't do this, you've got no part with me. And Peter's response being, "Then then all of it, Lord. Not just, don't stop with my feet, wash me all. It's this kind of relationship that has characterized them let alone all the other experiences that Peter got to be a part of where everyone else was. The healings. The feedings. He walked on water with the man. (laughs) They have a history. And unfortunately, perhaps the lowest point of that history has just taken place Peter denied and abandoned his precious rabbi in his hour of need. And to understand Peter's odd response in John 21, we have to understand what has led up to this point. And so put a finger, put a bulletin, put something in John 21 and turn back with me a few pages to the left, to Luke 22. Because Luke 22 lays the groundwork for what happens in John 21. The upper room has been dismissed. Jesus has warned them that one will betray them and another, Peter, the most vocal, would use those vocal cords to deny him. And so as we seek to understand what Jesus is doing in John 21, let me read for you Luke 22, beginning in verse 54, right before Jesus would go to the cross. And then they seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance, And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together. Peter sat down among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another person insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. 
And immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Is there anything worse than knowing that you've disappointed someone? I remember, I remember so clearly being a boy. And I grew up in a single parent home and so mom kind of had to play both mom and dad, both the nurturer, the caregiver, and at times the disciplinarian. And if she wanted to get me, if she really wanted to reach in and put her finger on the button that would resonate and resound with me. It wasn't a spanking. She didn't go for the belt. She didn't ground me. She would look at me with a mother's eyes and say, what? Just really disappointed in you, Scott. Come on. Come on. Bring the belt. Spank me. I've been bad. Discipline me, but don't. Don't tell me you're disappointed in me. Oh, it's crushing to know that we have wounded the ones that we care about the most. And in this moment of agony, in this moment that had been prophesied would take place in a darkened courtyard in his moment of need, the prophecy is fulfilled And I love the way that Luke has captured it. I don't know the man, the rooster crows, and their eyes lock. I can see it as if Hollywood had done it. Can't you? Jesus in agony, beaten, broken, beginnings of the passion, locks eyes with the one who had asserted a leadership role among the twelve. And it's more than Peter can bear. And if there's anything that's worse than disappointing the ones that we care so much about, it's not having an opportunity to be forgiven for that moment. Because under the weight Of his agony and fear, he is driven out of the courtyard, weeping bitterly. And Jesus would go to the cross. Fulfill what would be the ultimate redemption for his people. And yet, though he has appeared on a couple occasions to a couple of the disciples... Peter and Jesus haven't had a chance to sit down yet. Peter and Jesus have not had an opportunity to mend the fences. And so we're not exactly sure how much time has passed. But it's several days for sure. And so if you look and read the account of Jesus' resurrection and his appearing and the, and the women at the 
at the tomb. They see he's gone. They run back. They tell the disciples, who are the two that leave? You remember? I don't know if you remember the story or not. It's Peter and John. And who gets there first? Peter races ahead of him. You can see this guy. There's a longing in Peter's heart to make amends for what has happened. And yet, he arrives at the tomb. Nobody there. They find themselves later in the upper room and Jesus appears, but it's Thomas who dominates the conversation. Get, you know, get up, Thomas, get out of the way. I need, I gotta talk to this guy. And before they can do business, Jesus has vanished again. And so they find themselves back in John 21, if you want to head back there. John 21, the disciples, uh, at least a segment of them, uh, probably the ones from Galilee. There were seven of the fellows that were from Galilee, and we, we get five of the guys' names. We don't, we're not given the other two. They do what Jesus commanded them to do. There's some disagreement sometimes in some of the commentators as to whether or not this was an abandonment of the call. There were some who believed since they had returned to their occupation, we find these guys fishing, that maybe there was some idea that, well, okay, maybe maybe it wasn't who he said he was and they had gone back to their old lifestyle. I don't read it like that. I don't think that's what's happening. Put yourselves in their shoes. One, they had been commanded to return to Galilee by Jesus. He says, go to Galilee and wait for me there. I'm, I'm coming back. And so we find them faithful in that respect, but, but imagine what's happened in these young, men li- young men's life. These aren't sages. These aren't men with years and years of experience to fall on. These are, these are little more than teenage boys, early 20s, young men whose world have been ripped apart. And struggling to be found faithful, they do what their master has commanded them, but there comes a point where you've got to get away, right? Where you've got to get some rest, where you've got to clear your head. And if you are a fisherman, what are you naturally going to go do? You're going to go fishing. So as they find themselves, the uh, uh, English standard uh, says the Sea of Tiberias. It's also the Sea of Galilee. It's also referred to as the Sea of Galilee. So they go back. And you can almost hear it in verse 3 in Peter's voice. He says to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, well, we'll we'll go with you. And it's in this moment, in this scene of restoration, that we see some odd similarities to another scene in Peter and Jesus' life. That found in Luke chapter 5 when he was called. Do you see the similarities? Where do we find Peter and John 21? He's on a boat. They're wrapping up an evening of fruitless fishing. And who calls out to them once again? It's Jesus. And again, receiving this advice from an amateur. I don't know if you've ever been fishing, if you consider yourself to be fishing, to go out fishing and not catch fish is a deflating experience. The only thing that's worse than that is to have someone over your shoulder backseat fishing telling you, ah, you're not doing it right. You know, you got to cast over here. You got to hold your mouth like this. You got to reel like this. You know, especially when that person knows nothing about fishing. Who's the pro here? You know, 
I know what I'm doing. I do this for a living. And so an exacerbated group of fishermen have a situation made worse to get advice from an amateur on the shore a hundred yards away from the situation. Hey, hey, guys, try the other side. And as this is taking place, there's got to be something on the inside that says, this is, this is a little familiar. Hey, God, haven't, haven't we done this once before? Well, it worked last time. Over, you know, They throw it over the other side. And what happens? The dots are connected, right? The dots are connected. Three years of separation, the dots are connected. John says, oh, whoa, it's the Lord. And Peter never speaks a word. He doesn't say, really? You, you think so? Yeah, it could be. It was really similar from the last. Um, well, he grabs his cloak that he had probably taken off for the strenuous labor of nets in, nets out, no fish, nets in, nets out, no fish. He, he wraps himself back up and off to the water. Have you seen, It's been a while. Have you seen Forrest Gump, the movie? Great movie. Great scene in Forrest Gump. Do you remember... Bubba has died, Forrest's good friend in Vietnam. And Bubba had a dream. Bubba's dream was to go and start a shrimp boat. And so Forrest takes up the dream of his friend, starts the fishing or the shrimp boat. And as he is returning in from an evening of fishing, who does he see on the dock? Lieutenant Dan, right? Lieutenant Dan! And what does Forrest do after moments of separation, years have passed, when he sees his friend? He jumps off the boat! He jumps off the boat and begins to swim to his estranged friend who he hasn't seen since the drama and heartache and tragedy of two cultures at war. Wrecks the shrimp boat. By the way, if you're a hundred yards from shore and you need to get to shore, what's the fastest way to do it? I mean, even if you don't have a mercury outboard, you know, row or sail back in. So this is not anything but indicative of the zeal with which Peter has tried to live his life. This rashness that at times has got him celebrated at times, has earned him chastisement. He dives into the water. He swims to shore. Why? Because he sees his chance to be restored to the God he loves. Well, what what do we do with this? I mean, it's a great story. And I think there's a couple different ways we could pick it apart, but for our purposes this morning, this is, this is what I want us to do. I want us to, to put ourselves in the story, in the situation, because while Jesus is obviously doing something with Peter, I mean, there, listen, it's no mystery, it's no secret why Jesus chose to get his attention like this, because let's face it, he could have just walked back out to the boat, right? 
He could have just, he did it once before. It wouldn't have been too tough. He could have just walked back out there and said, hey, fellas, how's it going? You know, he used this miraculous catch of fish for a purpose. He's sending a message to somebody, isn't he? He's sending a message to Peter. It was that same miraculous catch of fish that prompted Peter in Luke chapter 5 to say what? Away from me. Away from me. For I am an unholy man. Three years later, three years filled with relationship building and love and mentoring and discipling, we have an unholy man and a boat full of fish needing to be restored once again. And I stand in a room of people in need of restoration once more. Listen, it's true of me. It's true of me. And in a room with this many people in it, it's a pretty safe assumption that we know the pain of the distance and disconnect that our sin causes. We know that pain. We know what that feels like to be separated from the only one who can do something about our, our situation and our circumstances. And you know the funny thing about that? I don't know if it's funny, but... But even though we know that pain so well, we know that distance, we know that isolation, we resist going to the one who can do anything about it. Don't we? I do. I mean, when I know that there is some secret fear, some hidden sin, something that I have not wanted to deal with yet, you know the last place I want to be? Right here. I don't, you know, I don't want to go to church. I, I don't want to pray. I don't want to spend time with God when there's something there, some fear something I don't want to look at or deal with, instead of going and rushing and fleeing to the Father who could remove the distance, who could wrap me in His arms of love, I go the other way. I don't want to deal with that. We resist Him. And I can't figure it out except to know that I see it play out even in my home with my daughter. When she's done something wrong, that's when we find her hiding in a room she doesn't readily come and confess to me in my office or in the living room. Hey, guess what I just did, Dad? It's something that's endemic in our nature. And I don't know why. You know, I think on some level we think when we go to God with these fears, with these disobediences, that we're going to somehow hear Him say, oh, You did what? You know, I... You caught me off guard with that one, you know, when really the opposite is true. He was present in the moment of our transgression. He was there. He watched you do it. He listened to you think it. He was present. And yet our fear causes us to think about the father the way we think about ourselves because I know how I respond. I know the anger and the hurt and disappointment that wells up in me when I've been wronged. And I put that on Him assuming He would respond in kind. But friends, 
if we know nothing about our Father, if we know nothing about the God who has saved us, know this. He's not like us. (laughs) Praise Jesus. He is not like us. Numbers 14, for the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, even though he will by no means clear the guilty. That's not to say that there are not consequences for our actions. There's not consequences for our disobedience. But friends, don't mistake consequences for cruel and vindictive punishment. Because he deals with us as a father deals with wayward children. Correcting, but loving and discipling. So if you know that pain, if you know that distance, if you know that disconnect, if you are experiencing it now, friends, let me encourage you this. Don't run. Don't flee. Jump off the boat. Don't don't even wait for him to row it to shore. Run to the Father. Flee to him. And isn't it great, I mean, this is maybe outside of the notes a little bit, but what does, Peter, what does Peter find when he gets to shore? It's not retribution. He doesn't ask to show him his knuckles and popped with a ruler. He feeds him breakfast first. He meets his needs where he is. Now, when you go home, finish the story. He's got some words for him in verses 15 and following. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you even like me? Hmm. He, he deals with Peter and Peter's disobedience, but first he loves him and nurtures him and cares for him and reassures him and reminds him of who he is as a father. And in this case, is Jesus as a brother in love. Is there something that you've put off taking to the Father because of fear of what his response would be? All, all I can do is encourage you, not even as a pastor, you know, just some stand-in. What I can do as a brother is to urge you. Run to Christ. Turn to Him. Follow Him. Listen to Him. Allow this love that He has promised to abide with us. Meet you where you are. And love you out of this relational distance that's developed. Because it's then and it's only then that we can experience the kind of love and life that he has wanted and planned for us. In the same way that he has wanted and loved and planned Peter. The life that he wanted for him. I'm going to take some time with you here and, and spend some time in prayer. But before I begin to empty my heart, on all of this stuff, I want to give you a chance to empty yours. 
And so it's going to be very simple, really. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm quiet for a few minutes, and a few minutes longer maybe than what your typical few minutes is. I'm going to give you the opportunity, and I want to encourage you to do this. If, if you know, if the Holy Spirit has said, hey, remember this thing, you know, as I've been talking, I want to give you the opportunity to talk to Jesus about that. And if you've been sitting here and saying, ah, you know, I really I can't think of anything, I want to encourage you to, in silence, ask the Father, show me what it is that's causing us distance, and then be quiet. Because if he hasn't said something, chances are pretty good he may in the quietness of this moment. So as we close our time together, let's do this. Let's do whatever business we need to do with the Father right now. Let's not row the boat to shore. Let's do it right now. As we ask and plead for him to meet with us. Let's pray. Our confession, Lord, is that we need you. Holy Spirit, as we're quiet in this moment, show us the things that are causing distance in our relationship with you.
Father, thank you for dealing mercifully with us. Thank you for revealing to us both your mercy and your kindness, but also, Father, what you want us to be and do, how we can go about loving you better. Lord, our deepest longing and need is to understand that we are safe and that we are loved so that we might be able to live our lives out of those truths. And Holy Spirit, as you have revealed to us even this morning, those things which we need to grant forgiveness for or ask forgiveness for, I pray that restoration and healing would begin now. And Lord, give us the courage to do whatever is necessary to bring about full healing and restoration in our lives so that there's no distance, that there's no seam work in our life as it relates to you and I. Father, be glorified. We thank you for what you have done and what you are doing both in our lives, in our community, and in our world. We love you. We give you thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have that opportunity now to stand, to give thanks for what our Lord has done.